welcome to discussions of music, healing, and consciousness with your hosts, Chris Noble and Bill Prosman. In today's episode, we're talking all about psilocybin and music, the combination of music and psilocybin together in a therapeutic setting, the benefits of this fusion of modalities of healing, what people actually experience on psilocybin, as well as their experiences with music and psilocybin. I'll share some of my personal experiences, as well as Bill's research into the area, and we'll talk about this and much, much more, as always, in our open conversations here on discussions of music, healing, and consciousness. Happy Monday, everybody. Yes, nice deep breath. Happy Monday. It is a happy Monday. I'm happy to be here, and uh, that article you sent me... um, that uh, we can quickly touch on. I know we got some other stuff to talk about today, but there's an article that Bill sent me called Countdown to Ecstasy, How Music is Being Used in Healing Psychedelic Tips, or sorry, Trips, Psychedelic (laughs) Trips. Tips on your trips, probably. But uh, yeah, pretty, pretty inspiring article. It really touches on how music is being, is really starting to like, we're moving into almost a, critical mass situation with music and therapy and the combination of the two, because it is um, the, the science is there and then more and more celebrities um, and, and musicians and whatnot influencers you can call uh, are really, really jumping on this. And so, and then as we've talked about in previous episodes with psilocybin psychedelic therapies, there's this, fusion and this article is just a great this is on the in the guardian this article is amazing um i guess you could say almost a confirmation that not only are we on a pretty good track here in the frontier of music and sound healing but it's just exciting to see that this is definitely coming more to the masses like how cool is that it's it's so amazing to me just in this last week um this article came out and you've got to talk about the composer who wrote the music we'll leave that one for a second um, this this article came out because it, the reporter was at a group event, I think, where an album was released, and the album is precisely the length of a ketamine trip. Mm. So if you're on ketamine or ketamine, um, and you want music to go with it, there there's music for you. If you're using psilocybin, the cool thing that they also highlighted in there was how Johns Hopkins has released their playlists for the research they're doing. Um, I don't know if anybody has seen the movie Fabulous Fungi or Fungi or whatever, however you like to say it, uh, Johns Hopkins is highlighted in there and everybody's wondering why the headphones, right? Well, the playlists are available and the links to them are in this article, which I'm gonna have to, we'll have to link it in like on our episode so mm. people can find it. Yeah. So everybody's been asking, you know, what are they using? What's the music they're using? But tell us about the composer because you know this guy, you followed his work. Yeah, so so funny enough, we're talking about Johns Hopkins medical um, you know, university, whatnot. And uh, the, the artist, his name is John Hopkins. And uh, he's an amazing um, electronic music uh, composer, producer, and he's classically trained as well. So his uh, he's got beautiful piano and a lot of his uh, dance songs and whatnot. So he's been a part of um, very much like the rave scenes, those dance scenes where there's a lot of psychedelics, specifically more on the MDMA um, more upper psychedelics uh, yeah. for dancing, especially and things of that nature, very, very popular in the electronic music scene. And so he's come from that roots. And then through his own journey with meditation, he's a, um, when I first went into training for transcendental meditation, he was one of the artists that, that brought me into that because he 
started his journey of meditation through transcendental meditation and was a huge advocate of it. And so that was another thing that I really loved about him outside of just his beautiful music. So it's kind of cool to now see him doing these really interesting pieces of music that are, you know, again, um, like you mentioned, they're bringing someone through a ketamine trip, for example, facilitating and, and augmenting more than more likely. Uh, but then he's got this amazing collaboration with Ram Das, the, oh you know, yeah. visionary, incredible philosopher, spiritual thinker. And the Ram Das's voice over John Hopkins music. And he actually collaborates with a, a third artist whose name I now, I can't remember, but anyway, um, they, there's these really interesting musical collaborations with the spiritual, with the meditation community now fusing with like, I mean, John Hopkins, not only is very, very well known in the electronic music scene, but he's, he's asked to collaborate. Like he's done uh, productions with Coldplay, Brian Eno and other like, you know, massive pop artists or at least like critically massively acclaimed artists. So you're just seeing this new trend of very highly regarded musicians and celebrities and people like seriously taking this music and the psychedelic therapies to a much more serious level, basically, where they're not only promoting it, but they're actually getting involved in creating these modalities. So this is like, this is pioneering really cool stuff right now. And it's happening so fast. I mean, just before yeah. we started recording, you were saying you're getting all these requests for more healing music let's call yeah. it what it is right yeah um, and you know any kind of music can be healing but i love the fact that it's john hopkins kind of music that it's ambient that it's your stuff that people are looking for for music that is fresh to them that's new to them they're not going mm -hmm. back to look at their old you know playlists they want something fresh and what I, I was just speaking to a client literally this morning about this which was you know she's like okay chris well the, the type of meditation music i I really like and what I want to have for my clients. Cause like most of my clients is I will, I will write the music for them yeah. to them for their voice to go over top of. And then they either sell that or, or whatever they want to do for their clients or their participants, whatever the situation. So they want, they're not going to write the music, but they want to have their essence put into the music and they still, so it's very much a collaboration. And I told my, you know, my client this morning or prospective client that she Cause she was like, well, I just don't want it to be this way or that way. I'm like, well, that's the beauty is we'll sit down we'll collaborate and come up with our own piece that resonates with you and yeah. what you want to be doing. Because just like with med medicine, I mean, there's just so many modalities for so many things. It's just like, well, how older is the, are the people perhaps that are listening or, um, you know, what kind of music do you typically gravitate towards? You know, some people I, I, I speak to, they really want more rhythm they actually want more percussion in these pieces. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, no Sounds problem. great. No problem. You know what works for you best and you also know your audience and your people best. So I, it's cool to also see my, again, I'm living the example too. And, and, and you are in your other, uh, your other modalities as well with music, how we're both kind of now coming into a place where people are, are asking for our collaboration for more than just entertainment. You yes. know what I mean? And you know, more than background, there's a, there's a real difference between music that's just like playing in the background right now, elevator music mm -hmm. and intentional music that's there to support you on a, on a psychedelic trip, for example. Absolutely. Whether that's a rave at a party rave or whether it's actual work like you're doing with uh, psilocybin or ketamine. 
uh, that's a huge difference. And I love the fact that that's becoming clear to people. They like, yeah. no, there's a purpose for my music, right? It, it's more than just, you know, having some songs playing while I'm tripping out, right? It's, it's mm. there's a real intentional use for that. And um, I think that same article mentions how uh, DJs curate music on a, with a purpose, like there's a pathway to it. There's a yes, journey involved journey. in the music. And, and I think that's so key mm. because we're storytellers. I mean, we love to tell the stories, you know, and mm. it turns out that we're so much more aligned with a story, a movie, something we're reading, something that's being told to us live. We're much more yeah. aligned with that than we are with, um, that's going to sound really bad, but here, here's a prescription for Prozac that I want you to use for six months and then we'll talk. Yep. <laughs> I mean, where's the story in that, dude? You know? Yeah. Why, and then good, so good luck much... getting off that drug too. Eh? Exactly. Right. Unwinding from that story, which yeah. is when you're, you're writing yourself without any help. You know, um, I, I just love where we are right now in, in this whole evolution and it's happening so fast. Oh I mean, God. every, every week it seemed like some other city is legalizing psilocybin, you know? I mean, thank God we're doing a weekly podcast at this point. Really? We should... <laughs> because every time we talk, I'm like, Bill, I feel like we've just made a decade of progress in a week. <laughs> right. I was just looking back at the news. Isn't that cool? So and, cool. And then, so I just sent you this, which supports everything that we're talking about too. Um, it's a study from, oh, forget it. I'm just going to wing it. It's a study. Yeah. And we'll post that too. But the study was comparing the use of Western classical music. Everybody knows that, you know, dead white guys, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms. I don't know <laughs> if they use anything more contemporary, but Western classical music yeah. versus more ambient music. And uh, specifically, the preference was for ambient music, although it wasn't much of a preference, but it was there. So that supports this thing about people searching for something uh, fresh, something new, yeah, something that doesn't come with the baggage of the Moonlight Sonata, for example, or whatever else. It, it doesn't come with the baggage of anything that's been pop. You know, I, I don't know why, but my personal preference would be for that investigative journey too. Mm. And to have music that I you know, that, that I know is good for me, but that isn't something I could hum along to, you yeah. know, I don't want to have my mind distracted by trying to follow a tune or follow words. And saying this as someone who's never been on a mushroom trip, I'm very much looking forward to my first one. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just feel that it's important to be completely open yeah. and completely accepting. And if I need to remember a piece of music, like I know that you have music in you too. If you need to remember a piece of music, sort of grab onto and ground crown myself, I know I'll have no trouble doing that. Yeah. You know, those familiar tunes may pop in as well. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I think generally speaking, I'd rather be in this, in a, in a musically safe place. Is that a good way of saying it? That's a really good way of saying it. You know, music doesn't challenge me, uh, but it supports maybe on a molecular level, certainly mm. on a mindful, emotional level. Uh, on a physical level, you know, slows the heartbeat, just gets you into a nice state of rest. I'd rather be that way, I think, than all, you know, hyped up on EDM or something. I think, yeah. And, and it goes back to like, again, what are we going for? What's the purpose? What's the intention what's of the, the situation, right? Sure. And if it comes to pretty much anything with meditation or, um, yeah, deep healing, like for example, this last week, I actually uh, re-aggravated, um, a lower back injury, which is thankfully today we're doing pretty good. But, um, for the last week I, I re-aggravated my scoliosis in my lower back. And, um, though it wasn't nearly as bad as it has been in the past, which is great because I think I've also just, I've taken even that much better care of myself now, mm -hmm. but 
it came back up and I was listening to a lot of healing sound frequencies where, and, and I, and I would experiment. There would be times where I'm like, maybe I just need to put on a, a fun tune and maybe some dance, something dancier, maybe something with lyrics or something just to kind of like, uh, cause sometimes uh, I was also having other emotional things come up while my, my back injury was kind of triggering emotional patterns and cycles I hadn't felt in a while. So I was dealing with that, which was good, um, needed, but heavy at the time. Yeah. And, and, and so I was just like, okay, what do I need musically basically? Right. And this is probably when I was lying on my, like my yoga mat, just stretching on my back. And every time I would put something with more of a beat or even lyrics or a song that I knew that was catchy, that I wanted to listen to, it would come on and my body's like, nope, nope. I need, I need the ambient, like crystal healing bowls, certain frequencies, like some, it's gotta be sound therapy or nothing. Basically. That's what my body was telling me. And I was like, all right, you know, and I listened and it helped, but it's, it goes back to that question. Like, what do you need in that moment? Because on the flip side, let's say, you're not in an injury situation and maybe you need something with more of that rhythm and more of that um, catchiness. Like I just need to sing a, a damn song right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just need to sing. I just need to put on the Beatles and I just need to have a sing along or I need to put on some Mariah Carey and have a sing along or whatever the situation. And then that is actually exactly what you need in that moment. So it goes back to what we've talked about before. What's the intention and well, it's really, what's the intention? What do you need the music for in that moment? This is such a great observation because the skill of choosing music well isn't something that we get. I mean, at least in the United States, kids are pretty much not even introduced to music in school until what, third or fourth grade when they hand you a clarinet and say, would you like to play this or, you know, whatever. Or a recorder. Yeah. A recorder, right? Or a flutophone, which is how yeah. I started. Nice. <laughs> so it's, it's like the, connecting intention to music is this brand new thing. And the more people that can do that, uh, clearly the, the greater the need will be to supply those consumers with music that they can use in, yeah. in their thing. Right. Yeah. And um, you said something that triggered something for me. Oh, there are times where ambient just lets me float. And you've probably experienced this too. And, and in that floating place, as long as I'm safe, um, I feel like consciousness can go anywhere. Mm, yeah. And, and that float is so important. And it's nonspecific with, res- with respect to pitch, like we've been talking about before, too. Tibetan bowls don't have a real, I mean, they sort of orbit around notes that we could identify. Mm. But with all the overtones and everything, they're very difficult to say that was an F, right? It's, mm. it's an F and it's an F sharp. And it's, an, it, you know, it's like all of, the, all of that and plus all the overtones. Mm. And um, this sort of direction that the study found of people going toward that, it, I think it's really important for consciousness. Mm. especially in this crazy black and white world that we live in, mm-hmm. you know, because it's either got to be my way or your way. It's got to be red or it's got to be blue. It's like, forget about purple. That's not on the scale. <laughs> no d- people, this is a spectrum, right? So this inflects our conversation about tuning too, because I think if you stay sort of non-specific with relationship to pitch, you're liable to gravitate more around the 432, the natural um, resonating frequencies of our physiology and the world around the universe around us. It's only when you start to focus it in, you know, on other things like Western classical music or the Beatles or whatever, that, that you come to a place where all of a sudden the music is telling a story. Yes. And telling you how to feel. Telling you how to feel like you're getting words or even um, as a lot of people are suggesting, there's certain kinds of things musically that create a, an effect on us, like really deep tones that you can't even probably hear, you can feel mm. are great for creating terror. 
Yes, or high. I know in or horror film soundtracks, right? they uh, like a lot of composers will will literally put off uh, a weird high pitch frequency that you can barely hear, and it's just like something feels it so like, off. It it gets into you. Yeah, right? it's scary. And <laughs> it works I, really well. It's, it's incredible power in that stuff. Oh yeah. So um, you know, I don't want to be assaulted by that. <laughs> not on a, supposed to be, you know, especially a, not on a therapeutic situation. Meditation. Yeah. Or, you know, and you know, meditating music. So that triggers something for me too. I do like to meditate to music. I don't meditate well without it. Mm. And I think this comes from a lifetime of being at the piano in a meditative way. So in addition to practicing, you guys who play probably know this, uh, and you probably do this too, is there are times where you just sit down and just play for yourself because you want to play. Yeah. Um, and those can be very meditative moments. You know, they can have all of the effect of, you know, heart rate slows. It's possible to play the instrument with very little effort and mm. be very satisfied listening to yourself mm -hmm. in that way and be very healed by what you're hearing. And, um, and that kind of self-care, that's amazing. That, that's really cool stuff. My friend who plays Tibetan bowls experiences this all the time. It's like people who do Reiki, you get the energy flows through you and you get the same benefit that your client is getting from the Reiki energy. And it's like that with music. And, um, it doesn't really matter in that moment, I think, whether I'm improvising something or playing something that's written down or just sort of noodling, it doesn't matter. It, the, the practice of doing that all for my life opens that meditative gateway. Yeah. And, um, and if we can get people to that place, I mean, Chris, if we get people, to, if we get 20% of the people on the earth could get to that place, we're all oh, talking about, you know, herd immunity. Oh, but wow, perfect. what can we do with power like that, man? Well, they, there's, what do they do? And uh, those, the monks that go to, uh, went to Washington, D.C. and meditated for a week and crime yep. plummeted in that week. No yep. one knew they were there. It wasn't like, you know, the monks are in town. Everyone stopped committing crime. You know, it just happened because they were in a group meditation. They're high, high vibrational, wise, you know, uh, souls, certainly, that are doing this. Yeah. But nonetheless, they show that it doesn't even take that many people to sh literally shift human consciousness. And then it directly affects uh, very tangible things like crime, for example, rates yeah. plummeting, you know, so we know that that's a real thing. So just imagine even five, 10% of the world's population getting into this kind of uh, healing modality. I mean, it, you wouldn't really rec you won't recognize the world we live in after people get into this stuff and completely reshape their entire lives. And another thing that you triggered there for me, which was, um, I, I really think for people, you know, it, you, you definitely don't need to be a musician to experience these benefits right. of playing an instrument. And I think we'll probably be broken records every episode saying this because it's so important that non-musicians or just people that love music like any other human, but don't consider themselves a musician can still experience every single thing that Bill and myself are talking about, which basically means like great, a great suggestion from Bill was the, the Tibetan singing bowls. Do you need any skill to play that? Of course not. Yep. You know, to be a practitioner with them, you need skill, but to just hit a mallet on the side of a bowl or, you know, move it around the bowl in a circular motion. I mean, a baby can do this. Like, it's like, this is the most basic stuff. It's one note with sure with some overtones, but you don't have to do anything. It's just yeah, there. To it. It's just there. You just sit and you just play it. So anyone who's like, Oh, I'm not a musician. I'm like, well, then go out and buy a Tibetan singing bowl or a crystal healing bowl, or go get a, a ukulele, which is all open tuning. Every note's going to sound great. There's certain guitars that you can buy all like open tuning that just sound great. Harmonicas are 
you know, no matter which way you blow or in, in, inhale in a harmonica, it's going to sound nice. So yeah. buy some easy, like beginner instrument things and, uh, you know, have a really good time with them because it's going to feel great. Or if you can't get to an instrument, just tone. Yeah, sing. Do your just own use, your, use your voice. Great YouTube out there. Um, one of the things that I've done for a long time is lead sing-alongs or drum-alongs with recorded mm. music. Uh, I'm out of the box. You know, I can do this conventional drum circle too, but I love bringing the band. So um, That's awesome. I'm just thinking as we're talking about this, because I do the same thing with the sing-along, you could tone to any of Chris's music, for example, very easily. And it would be completely congruent with the purpose of the music. Now, maybe you wouldn't want to do it if you're doing the 40 hertz, like the 40 hertz that, that was very healing and put me to sleep. <laughs> I sent that I, to someone today, actually. Uh, I've yeah. never fallen asleep singing, but you know, <laughs> it's very easy to sing to ambient music. It is. And it can be very satisfying because the, the in for the most part, the chords don't move that fast, right? And you can if zero they move in if they move. Yeah. Sometimes it's just one chord the whole Drum. time. Yeah. Thank you, Miles Davis. So mm -hmm. there's this beautiful opportunity there to, I mean, forget about the purpose for a minute. Just think about singing along with a recording that isn't something that, you know, isn't a pop song, right? Mm. No words. You can do it on ah or O oh or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, um, but that kind of getting the vibration in your body, like you make the vibration in your body uh, is really what's happening with musicians making music. And, you know, the reason for acoustic instruments is because they're very uh, congruent with our need for they organic vibrate. vibration. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can make, vibration happen through our ears too. That's fine. But holding a, holding like a bass violin and that thing must feel amazing when you're playing it. Right. It really, I can only imagine oh, actually. It's That'd just gotta be, cool. be incredible. Or the guys who play those giant drums, right. Can you imagine the mm. feel of that? Mm -hmm. Power. But you know, even if it's a harmonica, the harmonica is vibrating in your mouth and, mm -hmm. and you're getting that really sensitive, um, incredible um, healing. <laughs> I know a harmonica healing. Come on, Bill, I'm going to get email. Right. But, but it absolutely not, is the right? case. If that's I'll, all you've got. I'll 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 uh, give a testimony for Bill here. So I had a harmonica <laughs> healing experience, and we probably I talked knew this about was it. coming, you guys. <laughs> yeah, right. So my harmonica my harmonica healing experience was, and I think I've told you about this. I just don't know if we ever recorded that particular. Well, I think we've recorded it yet. Conversations. We are. Yeah, well, now we are. And I was uh, I was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. I was 16 years old. I was very very fortunate. I went on this trip with my aunt and uh, found myself going up this massive volcano, dormant volcano in Africa, highest peak in Africa. And it was a nine day journey, seven days up, two days down. I had severe altitude sickness. I was exhausted. I was beyond exhausted. I was uh, at a new level of uh, body deficiency in every level possible. I didn't eat for like five days, blah, blah, blah. Basically it was extremely difficult for myself in that particular moment. And uh, oxygen too, right? Oxygen, oxygen deficient, yeah. completely like your blood cell counts way lower, all this kind of stuff. Like your, your body's just getting ravaged. And um, there were these moments where I was just in utter despair. I didn't even know how I was going to get up this thing. And we were getting to a, we were at a point of no return where it was actually faster to summit, go up and then go down was actually fastest way to get down, ironically. So you're in these moments where you're like, I got nothing in the tank. I don't know how I'm going to keep going. And all of a sudden, in sometimes in these moments, I'd be walking and I just hear this beautiful sound, melodic sound coming from uh, in front of me. And it was another gentleman on this trip who brought his harmonica and had it in his breast pocket while he was walking. And every now and then he would just kind of take it out and just blow into it. He wasn't really even playing much. Like it didn't, wasn't a song or anything. It was just music. And 
that sound of that harmonica just drifting down the uh, the path, like to my ears, it elevated me in such a way. It felt like um, an, like hands that picked me up and then picked me up and then pushed me forward. And I, I could keep going. And in moments of despair, I would hear that harmonica music coming into my ears. And it was just like an angelic voice saying like, it's okay. <laughs> you got this. You can do this. And I, I was, I, it got me to the top of this mountain and, and that, and also singing uh, myself, I was singing just some like Coldplay songs at the time that kept me going. And uh, so it's, it's any instrument can do that. And the last thing I'll say is when you do decide to make the music yourself. So let's say you're singing because everyone can sing. doesn't matter if you're good or bad. doesn't matter. Make a noise with your body. And what happens when you sing is that you're not only generating that a vibration in your body, but you're creating a cycle where it generates from within, comes out of your mouth, and then it goes back into your ears through your brain and then repeat the cycle. So you've got this really cool circular, cyclical situation going on. Yeah, that. That, cyclical, not cyclical, cyclical. And um, there's even more power behind that. That's why the human voice is so, so, so potent and powerful for healing. Did you ever encounter the, um, I think it's a YouTube video. They took this 40,000 year old human-ish skull hmm. and people who study these things know that we communicated sort of by hollering at each other back in the day, right? So mm. our, we had much more powerful vocal equipment then than we do now. Makes sense. And the question that these scientists wanted to answer was, what does it sound like? You know, if, if one of these human skulls could be uh, brought back to life, what would it sound like? So they did all the science necessary, true story, and uh, replicated the sound that this skull would have made had it been living. Mm. And the sound is something like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on, it's on youtube somewhere you can find it link to it that's hilarious like look for ancient human voice or something but the, the fact that they could even do that i mean to know that we still sound pretty much the same as we always have right like language is lunatics. an innovation right but yeah we, we're still crazy uh, it didn't sound like anybody we'd recognize thankfully <laughs> that's a good probably a good thing that the music got developed a little later perhaps you know? yeah but but uh, i mean we've been using this sound thing for a long time and and i think that the fact that we can hear this hear our impact immediately is really amazing mm. i mean what else do we do that where we can change the environment and get immediate feedback on that yeah uh in 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 such a profound way Oh man, I, I love joking with this sometimes, Bill, where I'll, I'll have some friends over or it'll be a small thing. Or sometimes even at my shows, I'll joke about the power of music and I'll be at the piano so I can just do like the jazz lounge kind of thing where you're talking to the audience and playing at the same time. Yeah. And so I'll, on the piano, I'll start to just like, like you can easily just with a couple of like nice, you know, like a major, you know, seven, nine kind of chord or whatever, some nice, like juicy jazz chords, you know, I can immediately like, I'm like, look, this is like, we're all chatting right now. We're all kind of like, you know, mingling and like, watch, watch what happens when I push play this one chord, you know, like, and then all of a sudden everyone's sort of like the chatter sort of like dissipates and then I'll play a couple more that are really provocative chord, you know, like, or whatever. And then everyone just shuts up almost immediately. And then if I start to sing, it's like, all right, we're done. Like no one's, 
everyone in the room is now shifted. They're focused. Like everything has changed. We've now, we've moved into a very different energy because the music has started and yeah. it, it just, it just changes everything. It's like a superpower. It's so cool. <laughs> it's totally crazy. Uh, I'm As you're talking, I'm thinking of the opening to Piano Man, Billy Joel. Right. He's got this little jazz riff that whatever. And then all of a sudden he's, um, He's no longer the great jazz piano player anymore. <laughs> He's the bar <laughs> piano player. That's right. Three chords. That's right. That's <laughs> right? right. Yeah. I love that. Because that's what people want to hear. Oh, and that's by so the way, funny. what a great song. I mean, it, great man. comment. I, I wonder if there's any sort of evolved versions of that that are going to come along. And the piano bars in 50 years are going to be a different place. People go in, they still get drunk and smoke or whatever they do, but <laughs> uh, they also go in there for healing, right? That's what that's been the function of the barman for a long time, right? Yep. Yeah. And and instead of uh I'm sure alcohol will still always be around, but uh I think they'd have a lot of other things on the menu for people to be consuming and maybe there would be these like CBD concoctions and then maybe a couple of psilocybin concoctions or yep. I don't know, like depending on, you know, let's fast forward 50, 100 Edibles, years. chocolates, whatever. Well, that's the thing. Instead of just snacks, it can be CBD infused snacks, THC infused snacks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. I mean, these bars are going to get the, great. The government <laughs> is coming over your right shoulder. I can see it right yeah. now. The regulators are salivating. Ah, they got so much money. <laughs> they, they have so much money to make off this stuff. Like they'll, oh, they'll totally. just fine. Oh man. Yeah, like, it's true. It's true. I mean, the cannabis alone is like uh, every province here and every uh, state in the U.S. that that does legalize it. They reap the benefits financially. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a smart astronomical, move. really yes. astronomical. Yes. And we pay it's like a 30 percent um, overcharge on the actual price of the thing here in San Diego anyway. Yeah, really. It's nuts because the state wants theirs and the city wants theirs and the county wants theirs and you know the poor growers who are at the end of the chain anymore getting squeezed <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's usually how it goes that's how it goes they find new things to grow so now we've got psilocybin taking over for Yay. where pot used to be hey <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it but it's it's exciting stuff you know like uh, i it going back to this article it, it just looks to be that the wave of the future really is moving into, as John Hopkins says uh, in this too, John, John Hopkins, the artist, not the, not the um, university said that um, he feels, and I'll try to find the, the quote here, but he basically feels really honored and yeah. excited to be a part of um, this new era of music as he calls it. So he says, we're entering an era where this kind of uh, therapy is going to be legal and widespread, meaning the psilocybin therapy, yep. and you need to have music for it. So he's like, I've got to be really careful of sounding too grandiose, but I really feel, or it really feels like to me that there is a frontier, a new frontier and a new genre of music emanating here. And I, and I completely agree, like writing all this meditation, I call it meditation music because that's usually the application that it gets used for, but writing all this therapeutic music, is especially for myself over the last year i'm like what am i even doing this is a this is a new genre like that we're that we're yeah. that we're emerging into and this, the music that you've sent me too of uh, your synthesized type of um beautiful therapeutic music as well is very like it's its own genre because what else would you call it it's not even yeah, ambient it's... per se anymore it's it's got a different purpose to it it does and um I was thinking the very first invitation I had to do any music like that was to do a through composed or through improvised piece for a yoga for a one hour yoga session. Oh, cool. That'd and there's like a flow to a yoga session too. That's very mm -hmm. similar to the story arc once upon a time, you know, you oh, get to the yeah. climax and then you have to sort of release in the Shavasana. So mm. um, 
I, there wasn't a, a genre for that. The normal yoga music that you hear is, um, well, I don't know. It's kind of all over the place. It, it is. But it, it didn't have like a flow to it. Um, my wife and I have done some, uh, what is it? It's a workout video, but it's actually, she calls it Kundalini yoga. Uh, Gurmukh okay. is this amazing Kundalini practitioner. And there's often music with her stuff. And because Kundalini is very energetic, mm. it's got a lot of drum and movement. Okay. And pulse I see. And, you know, and that's, um, that was new for me to experience uh, when we got the video. I don't know, it was 2011, 2012, something like that. Mm. But I suspect music is evolving even beyond that now in terms of function. You know, to, to um, <laughs> it's the old commercial jingles that have grown up to be through composed actual pieces like John Hopkins is doing for, uh, for the Ketamine trip. Yeah. Although I, I do have one question for him, if we could invite him on. Oh, Probably could talk to him about this. Awesome. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> so um, I belong to a psilocybin church. Yes, there is one. It's called Sanctuary, except it's spelled with a P. Little plug here. They're in Kentucky for anybody who wants to know, and they're online, of course. Um, I can't attend being in California, but I, I'm part of the conversation, and that's really cool. That's awesome. And you know, in this conversation, we've had members uh, express both a desire for music and amazing experiences with it while using mushrooms. And then the same individual the following week said, well, I had the same music and I did the same thing, but it was a completely different experience for me. And I'm not sure I want to use that music anymore. <laughs> right. So um, that happened. And then another person said, I love my music. He has a great playlist. I haven't listened to all these because they're like three hours long, but mm -hmm. you can go through. And if you know the titles, you can go through. Oh, I get it. You know, I see what's happening here. He has a, a, a regimen where he doesn't use music during the trip, but he uses the music to come out of it. So the music oh, okay. is sort of his anchor once he comes mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. Back to reality. I, I think that's cool too. I mean, who's to say what's right and wrong here? And um, <laughs> eventually all of us will be versed in this. We won't need guides anymore or, or facilitators or whatever you want to call them. But our current mode has just about hit the end. Oxy, what was it? Oxycontin? Yeah. That whole thing. Now there's a movie about it. I mean, do we need any more of that? No. And our ability to sort of step into this void right now and say, no, this is me. This is what I need. And to fill that with whole plant medicines, for example, or meditative prayer, whatever it is that works for you, that, that opportunity is sort of blown wide open now. And, and these modalities, like they're, they're going to eradicate like 90 plus percent of all the things going on. Obviously this is just my opinion, but I really do believe that it's going to get rid of a lot of these things like the cancers, heart diseases, and pretty much all the major causes of death yeah. across the board globally because they, they addictions, like these things stem from deep trauma that has never been resolved or repressed yeah. emotions that have never been resolved and never been given the date time of day to ever even be seen. I mean, we're talking about things that are stem from childhood that no one deals with. That's how these things manifest physically in all these different forms like cancer, et cetera. And so these modalities not only heal you in all those regards with whether it's pat like deep, deep trauma or emotional situations, whatever the situation, it, it helps with all of that addiction, et cetera, PTSD. Um, and so those are going to be making life altering changes for people and, and bettering their lives. And where Western medicine, medicine truly thrives, in my opinion, is emergency surgeries. And like, if my arms hanging off my body, I, I got to say, I feel pretty confident going to an ER um, and, you know, in, in most places, um, 
you know, certainly here in North America and the States and in Canada, I, I might prefer Canada just for the cost of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, believe me, you know, the healthcare, that's a whole different article, but as a libertarian that believes in universal healthcare, I'm an out, even more of an outlier. So go Canada, you yeah. know, show us the way. I mean, it's not perfect here. I'll be the first to admit that, but I mean, it's something. And regardless of the fact is that Western medicine totally has a place. It, it, it's yeah. not that it's completely crap and it's not that it, there's nothing going on for it. It's fantastic for certain things, especially emergencies. Yeah, like we emergency. can fix you. And, and yeah. I have every confidence, Brilliant. right? We can fix you. Yeah, awesome. We may not be Great. able to take your trauma and turn you into a, you know, that that's a different kind of situation. But yeah, But, but that's where, where, where we're going to be taking things like psilocybin. It's not in a situation where I need emergency therapy. I'm doing this because I have PTSD or trauma or I'm grieving the loss of a loved one or yeah. whatever. These are different things that are very important. And again, if they're not dealt with, then they will manifest in very, very serious physical yeah. viruses or disabilities or whatever the situation. However, it's, it's just important. I think like what you're saying, nothing is black and white. And I think the way that we're going to be rejecting a lot of the Western medicine more and more, because the science is coming in to just show that it's, I mean, the, the pharmaceutical um, way of pursuing health is, is dead in my opinion. And it just doesn't work um, nearly as well as these other modalities. It's going to, it's, we're going to look back at, I think you said this, we're going to look back on it like bloodletting, you know, yeah, whatever, 200 years ago. Right. It's like, what were we thinking? But we're learning. We were learning. Yeah. We're experimenting. We're, we're, and you know, consciousness evolves. I, it's really hard for me to sit here and I'm not anywhere near as evolved as many people in this world are, but to sit in this place and just to look back and say, okay, so that's where I was. And look forward and say, oh my gosh, and that's where I'm going. Uh, it's pretty difficult to be judgmental about that. But mm -hmm. I can see that there's consciousness that's evolving, right? I see it's changing. I was talking with a guy this morning who told me about the moment that he realized that forgiveness is actually a selfish act. And that happened in his late 50s. Mm -hmm. And I can remember the exact day, time, what I was doing when I had that realization. Really? Like that's an important evolution of consciousness, right? Forgiveness is what you do for yourself. Yeah. You may not even be able to say, you know, I'm sorry to somebody else, but, or to forgive them and say, you know, I really, that thing you did, I forgive you. That may not ever be possible, but if you can do it within you. So um, yeah, that's an evolution of consciousness. I mean, I was a different person after that. That's such a good point because you know? when people, people can get very, and I, and myself included, when we talk about spirituality and enlightenment and consciousness, and it's like, well, what is all of that? Like, what the heck are we even talking about and a lot of the it's time the, it's the path it's the Tao. <laughs> it is it's just like it's just you understanding yourself more and how you fit in reality and what is reality but it's big revelations like oh my god i need to just forgive myself and oh wait selfishness isn't a bad thing it's it's just a completely like that's just a condition that we've been taught is oh don't be selfish you want to be kind to others it's like well Yes, um, being selfish in the way that you're mentioning it there sounds negative, but if you're loving yourself and treating yourself with respect and kindness and forgiveness, and you're you're you know you're giving all of yourself the things that you need first and foremost before anybody else, that's, that's right. a very 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 healthy thing to do because yeah. you cannot help others if you can't help yourself. Yeah, get off the stage, man. If you're not, <laughs> if you haven't practiced, <laughs> we don't want to hear you. No, we don't, and and that's okay, but. That's what I mean. Like it's important to, and, and, and yeah, like these modalities help unlock that sometimes. And that's where even just yesterday I had a friend do some Reiki on me um, because of my back injury. And I had a, a download in this Reiki session 
that I was judging myself for past patterns and uh, the, the judgment. So my self-talk game has really, really improved over the last two years and I've worked on it very consciously. So I feel like my self-talk game is really good, but judgment is also a feeling and it's not just the words that I'm saying to myself. It's an actual feeling. And I just realized yesterday that I was like, damn, I'm still judging myself for not quote unquote being to where I want to be. Or when an old injury flares up, it means I haven't actually, you know, improved or whatever. And I'd feel frustration and anger towards myself. And I was like, whoa, buddy, like you gotta be, you know, like, don't, that's okay. You don't have to be Bullsh. so mean. There's so judgment, uh, judging of yourself, you know? Yep. Yep. So it's just constant, <laughs> but you know, it's, <clears throat> I, so here's why musicians and artists are leading the age of Aquarius, right? Mm-hmm. We are some of the, probably some of the few people who are taught healthy criticism, healthy self-criticism, mm-hmm. I think at an early point. age, yeah. like we learn to listen to the sound that the instrument is making and adjust if it's not right. Yeah. And so it's not that we have thicker skins, you people. It's not that because, you know, I can We're get pretty undone. sensitive, actually. We're pretty sensitive. Yeah, that's the other part of this is that, you know, along with that healthy self-criticism that we can use well, yeah. uh, comes this dose of judgment. Mm. And if you don't play it as well as you wanted to, you leave the stage feeling like crap, even though you're the only one who knows that. Yep. Right. And then and everyone like, else is like, Chris, we loved you or Bill. That was amazing. Yeah, they didn't even hear it. Right. I've gotten much better at releasing recordings where I can hear stuff that I wanted to fix, right? But I put it out there anyway. It's like, who cares? You know, if somebody discovers that flaw, they've discovered something about me, which is, first of all, I made that happen. And secondly, (laughs) I was brave enough to let it go anyway. And that's, that's like, that's it right there is that people literally, you know, they, I respect so many artists when I hear mistakes, I love hearing mistakes from my favorite artists. Like to me, it actually is better. I prefer it makes them human. Yeah. It's more real, more more real. Yeah. And, and a great respect for auto-tune, whatever, you know, there's lots of ways that you can mess it up out there. And especially if you're in the electronic world, I imagine that the temptation to fix something when all you're doing is digital is is vast oh yeah you know if it came from my hands it came from my hands and if i mess with that i've screwed up the authenticity of the thing right you know and and imperfection who is it that designs imperfections into things because that's human there's some not not an architect or somebody but some painter or some someone does these things on purpose Mm. just to stay human like on you know, intentionally remind himself well, or whoever it is. I remember, uh, you know, Radiohead's frontman Tom York talked about how um, if you look at Radiohead's albums, every album is pretty different from the last one. Yes, they are technically, I guess, in a psychedelic alternative rock genre, but um, I mean, they get sometimes straight up electronic or they'll just get really trippy, uh, almost psychedelic sometimes on their later stuff. And the reason being, I was I was hearing Tom York talk about it. He's like every album he all, he one tries to write on a new instrument that he's never written on before, so it feels fresh and it feels new and and actually feel, it feels challenging. Um, so he got into like the drums later and was writing more of the drum beats and singing while playing the drums just just to challenge himself because he's like if I'm not challenging myself, then immediately things get stale. Yeah. So every time he writes a new song, there has to be a challenge in there and there can't be something um, you can repeat some stuff, but there's got to be a new element that challenges you because that's what keeps it. And then that's what keeps the imper- like 
the uh, imperfections that you keep in because and like think about how many great recordings have those classic like imperfections in the in the recording that get left in the recording you know at the end it's the studio saying oh that was fun guys that's a wrap or you know whatever like you have people love hearing that because it's so authentic and and it is imperfect and guess what none of us are perfect so it's nice to have that reassurance (laughs) i have a friend who has who built himself a recording studio to mirror the abbey road studio actually He's got a little cash cool. and it's all, um, there's no digital in it until the analog audio files leave the recording device. And he does have tape, but most of the time he records to the computer. So it records the hard disk. So it's all analog. And um, I said to him one time, you know, what's up with this? What, what's your commitment to this? He said, well, let me ask, let me explain it in a different kind of way. He said, have you ever listened to the Beatles recordings through a really high quality you know, analog setup. I said, no. He said, so he put on, he put on, what record he put on? I, I wish I could remember the song. But dude, you can hear buses going by. You can hear airplanes. It's all in there. And, you know, the Beatles would have been able to hear this stuff. And yet they let it go anyway, right? And you can probably hear it right now. If you put on, you know, I, I don't know if you can see it on the remastered ones. They've probably tried to clean some of that stuff. You've got some old LPs and a way to play them and some good equipment. You can probably sit down and hear that stuff. And flipping Beatles, right? They let that stuff out and, and with a purpose, right? The purpose was bigger than the perfection. What's and wrong like, with that? And like, what's perfect? You know, like, yeah, I know Peter Jackson, one of my all time favorite movie directors, and my probably my favorite movie series of all time, Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Um, the best and music as well. Oh my God. Oh, totally. Um, just incredible. One of the best soundtracks ever. Anyway. Uh, he talked about, um, this was at the third Oscars they went to. So this is for the third Lord of the Rings film, which is the return of the King. That's the one that won all the Oscars. I think over 10 Oscars it cleaned up and you couldn't have asked for a more, I guess, um, like every accolade on the planet, they won the whole world's raving about it. Everyone loves the films. I mean, like it's, it's a smash hit. I, you couldn't, you couldn't have created something in my mind, almost more perfect than those films. And then to hear him talk about when he was watching, he was watching the screening in like one of the premieres in London or something. And he's just looking and he's like, oh, I would fix that. I would change that. I would change that. And he's just going on about all the things that he would change. And he's like, and he was laughing because he's like, look, it's never over. The creative process doesn't actually end. We just have to create these deadlines so that something gets out there, something, you know, can get seen and, and heard and experienced. But even with musicians, like you look at your favorite artists and when they play some of their hits from 20 years ago, they don't play them the same exact it's way. It's not the same thing. Yeah. It's different. It's evolved as well. Like these things are, you know, music and art, it's always constantly evolving. Right. I mean, it's never really actually ever finished. That's something yeah. I have to remind myself of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, and huh. The pressure to repeat the performance. Like why even do that to yourself? You know? I know it's like, <laughs> but you do have to play if it's a famous solo or something or, you know, yeah. You or you keep, have to do that, but at least 90 to 95% and you know, a little yeah. variations, not so bad. <laughs> it, absolutely. Completely. Uh, when we were um, first came to San Diego, there's an outdoor concert venue here. And uh, one of our favorite sort of blues guys is Keb Mo. Uh, amazing take on the blues and the guy's got roots to go back to like muddy waters and he's just that right so we're thinking hey this is gonna be a great concert and we managed to get there you know i don't know how we managed we we got tickets some way and we were in the audience 
And he opens up with one of these nights, which is an Eagles song of all things. And I was like blown away. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can feel my skin crawl just thinking about it now. <laughs> but when someone, I mean, maybe it just takes a brand new singer to do that. You know, all those, there's so many hits that have been made mm-hmm. by people who didn't write the music. It was, it was, you know, premiered by somebody else, some name we've all forgotten now. And, and then it turns out to be, uh, you know, some pop stars hit. Mm-hmm. Um, this freshness that exists in music is so amazing. And, and probably, you know, 50 years from now, People are going to be going and listening to your tracks and go, oh man, I did this Chris Noble track one and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then the, somebody right next to him will say, you know what? I love that track. Have you heard Bill Protzman play it? I was going to say, did you, or the collab where they're both on it together? Or yeah, where they both play together. It's like, <laughs> dude, did you hear how they, and, and of course we've got remixes. We've got the technology, right? Right. right. We can do this. And it's amazing to hear how fresh uh, old music can be. Hey, even the old music is great, right? I mean, oh my God! Kids I, these days are listening to Tony Bennett and the Beatles and it. Sinatra. Whatever. I know. <laughs> I um, our, our our one of our mutual favorite musicians, um, Jacob Collier. He, yeah. uh, I watched one of because he's so um, prevalent on like social media and doing these little like tiny little music bits, right, for like thirty seconds or something. And yeah. he did this amazing uh, vocal cover with another amazing R and B uh, singer for. Um, Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, which nice. I completely forgot how much I love that song. And so I heard his version and then I started just kind of riffing on my own version of Bridge Over Troubled Water. And then I ended up playing that with my friend Sushila as well. And we kind of turned it into this like completely different song. And then I, and then like oh. playing that song, like in a completely different way, I was like, it feels like a new song. And when I listened to the original, I'm like, I love it, but I'll be honest, I kind of really want to play it my way. Cause I'm having more fun with that because it's a total revival. Um, great song. The essence of it's still there, but the vibe is completely different. Yeah. And you know, the, so the younger generation brings this, like it's a new breath into Beatles or Eagles or whatever old classics. It's kind of cool to hear that. I love it. Oh, it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, you know, growing up the classical world, everybody plays the same music. Yeah. And they play so the you, same way too. Usually. Yeah. They it's play like, the same oh. way. And the idea is to be, you know, authentic or true, or, you know, this is the way that Bach would have played it or whatever it is. I it's can't. like, come on guys, you know, even uh, thank heaven for like Glenn Gould. Remember that guy mm-hmm. who messed with everybody's idea of what was right. And, uh, you know, we, we need more people like that sort of enlivening. Uh, okay, I'm not going to say it that way. We we need uh, we need life in the classical scene, and thank heaven there is. There is though, and the neoclassical scene with like the Max Richters or the yeah. uh, Johann Johansson's, uh, Johnny Greenwoods, I mean, et cetera. Like, there's some amazing trailblazers creating unbelievable works. That those are the people I loved, and like I grew up listening to them because to me, I'm like I love classical, but I don't love like what I love about classical is the orchestral or like the very acoustic, you know, just the solo piano or violin. Like I like the instrumentation with the emotion, you know, it's the emotion that I'm really going for. And sometimes the old classical stuff, it's like, I'll go to, I, I used to go to a lot of classical shows with my great aunt. She had uh, box tickets. So, and I was the only one in the family that was actually interested in going. So I, I ended up going a lot. I saw a couple of operas with her as well. It was amazing. Nice. And so I got to experience this music, but even at those experiences, when I was listening, there was usually a lot of times where I'm like, I'll be honest, guys, I would be remixing this right now. I need, I need to amp this up a little bit. Like I'm getting a bit bored. I have to admit. And yep. musically speaking, I'm like, I'm just hearing other ideas and ways that I would take this piece 
and just do it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe a little bit more electronic stuff coming, kicking in every now and then or whatever, right? Like revamping it, bringing a new life to it, which which is what's what we're seeing now out there, which is great. Yeah, it's true. In fact, we're seeing that plus the re-record everything at 432 hertz. Right. Well, that's a new movement that we're starting, right? <laughs> <laughs> the 432 hertz movement. Yeah, that's great. It's uh, I, I love it. Anything that blows the arts apart, and you know, I had the same conversation with my wife Rebecca. We were talking about California Impressionism. She's a planner painter, and where that movement is going, and how it needs to change or expand, and you know how what we see can be stands on what we've experienced in the past, but that needs to be seen in a new way, a way that's fresh. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no only so many times you can look at a California Impressionist painting and be moved by it. Mm. And until you start to want more, right? And unless you're a collector and collecting everything that's 100 years old or, or older, totally. um, that's that's not moving the genre, right? Uh, another great example for people uh, musically wise, one of my absolute favorite um, jazz genres is called gypsy jazz music um, oh, yeah. from like 1930s, like Stefan Grappelli and Django Reinhardt. These, like, yep. they, these guys were trailblazers in the jazz world because they created a whole new genre just based off of their style of playing. But then this is still old, right? This is like gramophone recordings, which I personally love that tone of a gramophone. Isn't like, it great? This that, is like pre-AM radio kind of like. Yeah, it's like, like the bandwidth. That oh, it's is tiny. Just, and it's it's got just crackly so nostalgia to it. I just yeah. absolutely love that tone. However, then later in like the early 2000s, there's this, and it's not just the only band, but there's this one band in particular I absolutely love called Caravan Palace. And they took, they're all massive jazz players like they can all like they are monster players amazing amazing instrumentalists but they they were trailblazers in a genre called electro swing and electro swing is this very dancey um kind of sexy cool vibe but with this like almost 1930s swing music kind of back you know backing it and and really driving uh the beat you know postmodern jukebox kind of stuff yeah kind of similar to that yeah but it's got a real particular vibe this electro swing genre and the band caravan palace is my favorite band really in that genre because they take the old and they completely revamp it into this new modern thing yes with some electronic integration and all that stuff but what i really respect about them a lot is that they still keep the parts that i love from the old which is they're amazing players. So seeing them live, which I have luckily, like they're a Paris a Parisian band, but they came to Toronto uh, many years ago and I saw them and like their live show is second to none. It's, it, it is like, they're all shredding their instruments on stage, like massive solos. Like it's a proper jazz show, yeah. but it's just a completely different genre of music where they're incorporating those old elements of jazz, but also uh, burlesque, um, very like burlesque performance, circusy performance, Vibe. Oh, nice. So they so they just take it to this whole other level. And it's just a good example again of of taking the old and just completely reviving it for a new, fresh thing. But you're taking the the nice essence of the old and you just bring it into the new. This I'm going to look them up because they sound a lot like two bands that I love, Scary Pockets, which is doing that in sort of the funk. Oh, I'll have to take revival. a look at them. That sounds cool. They have a they by the way have a recording of Bridge Over Troubled Water, blow your socks off. Oh. That's but Caravan sweet. Palace sounds because there. This is a European thing. Yes, um, reminds me of what's it called? Uh, Pink Martini, um, who's kind of done that, but a little bit more poppy. And then another okay. band that I love called. It's actually a project. It's not actually one band. It's a bunch of musicians who deploy okay. as needed. Club de Belugas. Oh, have you encountered them? No, I have not. 
they do originals as well as um, some revival stuff. But um, this whole idea of the of the blending of old and new, of genres even, uh, where it works, is so exciting to me because we're getting great stuff out of that. I mean, and it's to bring it like stuff. bring it back to kind of where we started this conversation, it's like that's what we're seeing with this therapeutic music. Is look, yeah. this isn't new. I mean. We, we both know this is ancient stuff. The ancients have used music and sound to basically be the like their, their modern medicine. And then we forgot about all the amazingness that it brings. And we've gone and down other routes of science and, and medicine. And that's great. But now we're rediscovering this ancient knowledge and way of using music. But we're still in the 21st century. We're still having all this different technology around us. So we're, we're bringing it back but with a much different spin on it. Right. And that's where you get these yeah. John Hopkins electronic music uh, artists that are bringing their, you know, genre into the, the music therapy or therapeutic music and sound healing genre, or not even genre because they're creating their own genre by doing this. Right. Yeah. But yeah. It's uh, that's what we're seeing right now is again, just reviving a very ancient, very ancient idea. That's been, that was, I was commonplace forgotten about, and then now we've rediscovered its benefits and we're, we're reviving it and doing our own, you know, 21st century spin on it, which is really cool. Yeah, and really helping like a lot of people. Thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like, share, or subscribe. Discussions of music, healing, and consciousness is a practice of spontaneity, and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Samara Huchaya. Thank you.